Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. This week's message was originally given on October 25th, 2020. Pastor Emma Peterson talks to us about the spooky season and then explains how to build an ancestral altar. Good morning and welcome to this morning's message, Thinning the Veil. I love spooky stuff. October is witchy season, and as my spiritual explorations have lately led me, I am leaning in hard to my witchier instincts. I am fascinated by the unknown, by the things we suspect we see, yet are somehow just beyond our sight. By the potentials of other consecutive realms. I am both terrified at the prospect of and long to grasp with clarity sources of the energies I think I sense but can't quite be sure. Some of my closest friends have a haunted house. The woman who lived there in the house previously sometimes appears in the corner of their living room. My friends tell me their ghost suffered from dementia in the final years of her life. The spirit housemate was Italian, an immigrant in this country. As her disease progressed, her husband made the choice to return to Italy for her final years. She died there But as the home they rent was the last place she lived in, in which she was cognizant and present. Perhaps she occasionally appears, though with a translucent, somewhat static look, in the corner of the house because her soul is searching for what last felt like home. This is the time of year, the time when the lushness, the thriving, the pulsing growth, of the natural world has reached its peak and is now falling ever more rapidly to death. This is the time of year when we are reminded of the temporal nature of our being, when we move in the direction of the long, cold sleep. This is the time of year that the veil that separates the worlds the worlds of life and death, of the seen and the unseen, known and unknown, are at its thinnest. This is the time of year when humankind can stretch our senses towards the other side of being, to whatever might lay beyond, be it a true organic finality or something else something not quite like living, something perhaps like sleeping, our recurrent insight into a reduced presence is now at its sharpest visibility. Spooky season is my favorite season, 
And perhaps because of the tumult of our current time, the next time we speak, because I am not preaching on the first Sunday in November, election day will be behind us. It is uncertain if we will know the results by the second weekend in November. I certainly hope we do. I know, and I suspect that I am not alone in this feeling, that I am beyond stressed about what these next few weeks could bring us. I'm spending an inordinate, inordinate amount of time listening to the news, scrolling Twitter for updates, consuming multiple political podcasts a week. I'm rattled, and while some of you may advise I unplug, I'm just not sure that would help. For better or worse, I'm going to spend the next several weeks pretty informed, and I recognize that it may take a toll on my overall emotional well-being. So, as is natural when we are particularly stressed, I'm looking for outlets. Some of the outlets I choose myself, hot baths, fluffy novels, long walks, but the constantly simmering sense of impending doom that has become my companion in recent months is also looking for outlets, for something perhaps a bit closer to home to feel uneasy about. Enter October, the month where we are reminded of our mortality, the month where the ghosts and the ghouls are said to come out to play, the season of the thinning of the veil. So I'm indulging in all things spooky. My partner and I are watching Halloween movies several times a week. I'm reading ghost stories and listening to creepy podcasts and smudging my house. Perhaps it's only my imagination. Perhaps it's my unease attempting to grasp onto something beyond politics to explain itself. But lately the air has felt charged. I don't know why. I can't explain it. And that's part of the fun. Things we can't explain are not necessarily things to be feared. And this is a season that allows us to indulge in the things that freak us out a little bit, while also giving us a chance to venerate our lost loved ones and to recognize that those who departed before we did may very well exist in the energy all around us. This is also the season where, perhaps, we can all lean into a bit of the rituals and spiritual practices typically associated with pagan, New Age, and Wiccan circles. While UUs are typically considered the most welcoming of churches for pagan spiritualists, the greatest barriers of leaning into magical ritual as a spiritual practice seems to be both the feedback from those who don't understand magic and ritual as effective, legitimate spiritual practices. You know what I mean. Lots of side-eye and mutterings about mumbo-jumbo, and do you believe in fairies also, and oh, are you going to turn me into a frog? And also the barrier that is the infighting within the wider pagan community. In my preparation for this message, 
I reached out to our own Marta Ferguson to discuss the most considerate way to engage ideas of magical ritual while remaining sensitive to spiritual appropriation. There seems to be much debate within pagan and New Age circles regarding who has a right to claim to be something as powerful as, say, a witch. There are debates around the legitimacy of lineage that are meeting up with a surging of mostly, though not all, Generation Z spiritualists claiming the tradition of witch regardless of heritage or lineage. I was offered a sliver of insight into some of the infighting within the pagan and New Age community. And additionally, I've got thoughts about the recent capitalist commodification of witchcraft. On the one hand, I'm thrilled to see Generation Z sink their hands into ritual as a way of meaning-making and divine connecting. And on the other hand, I'm annoyed that I can go to TJ Maxx and buy a witch kit for $17.99, as if spellcraft is an aesthetic and not, at least, an attempt at sacred space creating. All this to say, expect a conversational sermon on the secret communal identity conversations that are occurring within New Age spiritual communities, as well as a conversation about the cultural spillover making Wiccan mainstream, but also potentially problematic, albeit in new ways. But as I said, today's message focuses on the season of magic and how we can bring magic and ritual into our own lives as a way to bolster and grow our spiritual practice. But before I give a tutorial on how to create an altar of your own, let's talk a little bit about history and holidays. All Saints Day is November 1st. All Saints Day and All Souls Day occur on the 1st and the 2nd of November, and All Saints Day is the older of the two Christian festivals. It supplants ancient pagan festivals in Europe and was meant to pay homage, homage to the caste of saints who in the face of religious persecution and often brutal execution, stayed fast in their faith, dying beloved by God and blessed by the church. This, of course, is the small minority of faithful Catholics believed to, to, to surpass Purgatory's waiting room, winging straight to heaven, that are venerated on All Saints' Day. The early church noticed that people were persisting in praying for all departed, like their lost loved ones, and not just the blessed saints. People were praying and paying homage and giving uh, venerations to any of their run-of-the-mill relatives and friends, friends and relatives who were surely languishing in purgatory. And when the church saw people were reviving pagan customs in order to do this, the clergy took control 
and established All Souls Day on November 2nd, when prayers could be properly spoken, masses sung and candles lit for everyone stuck in purgatory, all the less than perfect souls, which is almost everyone, who might, through prayer and petitions of the living, be redeemed on Judgment Day. This was a mighty capitulation to populism, if not quite to equality. And then we fast forward several centuries and jump across the ocean and a continent, and the American Unitarian William Ellery Channing would proclaim in a 19th century sermon, I am a living member of the great family of all souls. Many Unitarian churches then were inspired to take that name, All Souls, as many Universalists already had, believing as they did that in the end, the very end, all souls are saved, none are damned or forgotten, no human soul is irredeemable. Well, I recognize theological differences within this place, and I always expect a fair degree of feedback regarding all of this postulation about an afterlife of any kind, I, for one, can get right on board with this idea of the great family of all souls. Our seventh principle, a respect for the inherent interconnected web of existence of which we all are a part, demonstrates this. All Souls Day connects the realm beyond the living for those of us who hope that there is something beyond what we experience here on earth. And those of us who believe that death is final, we can still find meaning in the rituals of remembering those who have died, imparting the lessons learned from their lives, reflecting on how their stories shaped and inspired our own paths today. Immortality does necessarily Immortality does not necessarily need to mean a literal place like heaven or hell, but rather the continued memory sustained by those who knew us passed through generations of storytelling. Kate Braystrup, UU chaplain and writer, says that hell is when you die and nobody cares. We live for as long as our memories do, and even when those have faded, we are woven into the vast tapestry of the narrative of humankind. I mentioned at the beginning of my message that ritual and spellcasting, some may call it witchcraft, has grown to be a strong part of my own personal spiritual practice. And so I'd like to talk a little bit now about building your own ancestral altar. Because of the history of the Christian calendar I spoke about and the generalized belief that this is the time of year when ancestral communication is most effective, this would be a great time to build an ancestral altar of your own. We all have, ancest we all have ancestors, and if you believe, like I do, 
in the woo-woo concepts of guardian angels or spirit guides, the spirits of our ancestors arrive with us at birth and accompany us through to our deaths when we ourselves join them in the great cloud of saints and witnesses. There may be some of you that have no interest in venerating your ancestors because they were decidedly bad people who harmed your lineage. Maybe like me, you have recently learned of deceased ancestors who were abusers, relatives who abused and committed violence to your still living relatives. Maybe like I am, you are recently coming to recognize the enduring ripples of violence and abuse within your own family lineage. Maybe you, like me, are coming to see the way that pain and violence continues to cause harm to both yourself and your surviving loved ones. I think that's all the more reason to build an ancestral altar we carry our traumas generationally. We are wounded generationally. And it is up to those of us who remain, who have survived, to heal generational trauma so that our family line can be released from the violence of its past and create new lineage of wholeness. Perhaps one of the tools of healing come from communing with those ancestors who caused harm. I'm not suggesting that you need to get friendly or forgive the sins of your departed family members. Instead, you let them know that their generational energies of harm are no longer welcome because their lingering is continuing to cause harm and violence to those who have survived. It's also okay if you are not ready to or simply do not want to connect with any of your direct ancestors. There are lots of ways that you can do a ritual veneration, perhaps for a historical figure like an author or a musician or even a saint who you feel has influenced your life. If you would like to build your own ancestral altar at home, here are a few things you might need. First, a couple of candles. I prefer to use white, unscented candles in this kind of craft practice for purity, for purity reasons mostly, though if you don't have any, any color will do. Set the candle on a flat surface. There are some that create their altars and leave them up all year round, but I tend to create altars for specific purposes and limited amounts of time. So set your candle on a flat surface. If you have photos of your ancestors you are honoring, it's great to include them. You can also add little details like herbs, I always favor lavender, or fresh flowers or items you think they might have liked. My grandmother had a collection of beaded handbags, and so I've got a nice little beaded handbag that I sometimes set by her candle when I've built her an altar. The other thing you will need is a glass of cool, fresh water. This glass of water is your ancestral offering. 
So what you'll do is you'll light your candle and you'll hold, and you'll hold your glass of water in your hands. At this point, I'd encourage you to take a few deep breaths and come into yourself just a bit. In your mind or out loud, offer the glass of water to your ancestors. Now, begin to picture a bright, pure light flowing from your heart into the glass of water. Imagine the comforting glow of this light cleansing your lineage of trauma. Picture it releasing pain. Picture the light expressing gratitude for your life today, recognizing the long line of those who came before you. Picture it quenching old thirsts, washing away old wounds, and making space for new life. Now, whenever you feel you are ready, you can open your eyes. You can leave the candle burning for a while, or you can extinguish it whenever you feel ready. I like to empty the glass of water by taking it outside, often taking a sip myself, and then returning the rest to the earth. Feel free to do this ancestral work whenever you so desire. You can build an ancestral altar weekly or only on holidays or birthdays or only once a year around All Souls Day. Or you cannot do it at all. That's one of the greatest gifts of being a UU. Take what works for you and feel free to leave the rest. If you do create an altar of your own, I'd love to hear about it. Or if you have a favorite ghost story or spooky movie or Halloween activity, share it on our Facebook group this week. Thank you so much for letting me share some of my own spiritual practice with you this morning. The next few weeks ahead are sure to be turbulent. Hold on to each other. Ground yourself wherever you can. Deep breaths. We'll get through. Amen and blessed be. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org and you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU. We welcome visitors to attend our online services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.